previously on the MedTech Business Academy. If you're a small company, you have to embrace the idea that chaos is the great equalizer. One of the latest and greatest is on how to manipulate the mind is all bullshit if you don't deliver extraordinary value. COVID changed everything, but as we mentioned, chaos is the great equalizer. It's time for your focus to shift from sales KPIs to customer needs. As we reflect on how far we've come, We'll also discuss how far we have to go. The Days of Future Past Part 2 at the MedTech Business Academy. Joining us today from the MedTechSpert team are... Hi, my name is Mike Sperduti and I am the CEO of Emerge Sales. Hi, this is Ted Newell, CEO of Medical Device Success, home of the Medical Device Success Podcast. Hi, this is Scott Alexander. I'm the CEO of Gyrus Marketing. This is Skender Derty, CEO of the Clinician Exchange. I'm Barbara Strain, principal and owner of Barbara Strain Consulting. I mean, what Skender said about chaos and everything leveling the field, it's like, you know, uh, $15,000 or $20,000 goes a long way towards a free clinic or other things in a community, even sponsoring, you know, like a special, you know, uh, running event or any sort of thing. So you don't have to be the big company, the big dog on the block. It can be the little chihuahua as well, you know? What if you're, a, let's say a colonoscopy product company and um, in a population health-based um, community, and you go out there and you give the popular, the VP of population health for a healthcare system. Let's give them a, Wait, where 20, are you going 30, with this, Ted? 50, a $50,000 yeah. grant. What? Where are you going with this, Ted? No, no, just yeah. listen, hear me out. Uh, yeah. Maybe I should have chosen colonoscopy. Yeah. That's yeah. A pretty hey, we're all getting one. one these days, right? <laughs> I mean, giving away free colonoscopies, you know I mean? <laughs> yeah, they're going to line right up anyway. Yeah. No, but where I'm going is what if you, what if you gave a, a, the VP of population health, especially if they have a great IT and they're already starting to explore artificial intelligence, you give a VP of population health a $50,000 grant or $100,000 grant to uh, develop stuff to identify these patients in their in the population that they serve that really need to be encouraged to come in for this kind of help. And, you know, so suddenly you've reduced their overall costs for the payers because you're identifying potential cancers way before they get bad. Mm -hmm. But then you're doing a lot more business. So, you know, that could be, I mean, talk about, talk about getting creative, you know, mm -hmm. just thinking, you know, what a company could do that's not typically in their wheelhouse. Right. Well, it's like Scott said, all these data companies, I mean, should be going out. Their customer base is anyone everywhere right now because they have the ability to not only find all these data sets, know what to do with the data sets, and be able then to help interpret what does this really mean. And AI is going to play such a huge role if it's done correctly and accurately and, and used wisely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Ted, what you're describing um, absolutely is the kind of things to be thinking about. There's obviously, you know, the, the more conservative folks listening are going to say, ah, stark, anti-kickback, that sort of thing. And I, I think that's a legitimate concern, but it's not an insurmountable problem. Mm -hmm. Like there are, there are good, effective ways to do these kinds of things where you're helping a health system or, you know, an organization 
take care of the population in a way that helps your business as well. That is not some sort of quid pro quo, somebody in the jumpsuit kind of a thing. You you can do it the right way. You just need to be smart about it. Yeah. One of the things, Barbara, I was, I'm curious to get your take on it. Um, As a former provider, do you think, what do you think about the staffing considerations in uh, the problems that health systems are having with staffing? Do you think this is temporary or do you think this is the new way of the world? Well, we started to see it in 2017, 18, 19, because as the population was aging, uh, people with a lot of experience, history and uh, organizations were starting to retire and age out and that sort of thing on top of COVID, the stresses, the well-being, it's all sort of exploded. And one of the it's going to continue because uh, one of my um, my good value analysis friends I keep in touch with several times a week, all of my value analysis uh, colleagues that I have kept in touch with through AVAP and a variety of things are now hiring nurses and others because the the wealth of value analysis knowledge was really brought to the forefront in the last two years. So it's really valuable. So they've really invested in that. It's hard to find people. And then when you do, those stressors are still there. They're being asked to go to the bedside, a variety of things. So all of this is going to stay. So what health systems need to do, need to do quickly is what are those services we really have to have in our big, tall, white buildings? What I call the hospitals, most expensive. What do we have to have to really conduct business? But what can we do in partnership and collaborations with suppliers, AI, payers, Let's move things out to communities so not everybody's rushing to the place where all of the stress gets created. It's easier to say than done. However, that's the way people need to think. Suppliers need to rethink. I'm only working in the confines of the spaces that are going to earn me the most dollars because I have very high dollars supplies, right? Either implants, implantables, new whatevers, and it's going to save lives. However, uh, having some talks and some advisory boards and various things that I get involved in and have been involved in for a number of years, when you start to look at all of the clinical evidence these days, maybe that's not 100% of the portion of people should be having these sorts of things. Maybe there should be more demand matching. Maybe there should be more algorithms and then attack where these chronic diseases really are because that's what's bogging down the health system. So yes, we're going to be like this for quite a while. I mean, when you look at the dynamics of just the average healthcare provider, right? the average physician is 55 years old. The average nurse is 57 years old. 2020 saw the highest rate of retirement in the history of healthcare. And and again, it's not like that's being replaced by this new wave of 20-year-olds that's still, you know, even with that high rate of retirement, we still have the mark at 55 and 57. So these are still the bulk of the people that we're relying on to administer the care. 
And at some point their burnout rates and they're only going to get closer to retirement. You know, that that's just, these are the dynamics that we all have to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So something that you said, Skender, a few minutes ago, uh, sort of was going to have me, maybe we could segue into another difference between, you know, or something that could change or not change between 2021 and 2022. I don't want a free colonoscopy. <laughs> no, you won't come on to those. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Just making sure. Well, remember. <laughs> but that would Andrew's be. going to um, pay for those colonoscopies. That's right. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember mine anyway. So, um, except the prep part, that's what's bad. Anyhow, the um, is the whole concept of like you you made the comment about trade shows, the effectiveness, and so on and so forth, and what are the alternatives and so on. So, you know, I just talked to a fellow that came back from a trade show out of Las Vegas, down fifty percent from twenty nineteen in terms of attendance. Um, you know, it had a virtual component to it. But so what have we learned about trade shows? Because I think what we learned is that um, a lot of companies did really well without trade shows this past year. And so have trade shows and Congresses lost their value and have people found other ways via creativity, virtual, so on and so forth to, to make up for that and maybe even have greater impact? I think the answer yeah. is 100% yes. Uh, you know, people definitely figured out how to do it, but I do still believe that trade shows have an, an amazing value, even though that the, the, they're down 50%, because I would also argue the people that are there are really there because they are players, right? Anybody who's anybody is in front of the room speaking, educating, and, and so if you, are, if you are an industry person, you need to be at an industry event more times than not. And if you can, it, it will come back. Like trade shows, trade shows are one of those things that everybody hates, but everybody does because they they don't want to miss out. They don't want their competitor to have that one meeting and you know they lose the deal or whatever. So it will come back. Um, I just I just think it they'll be smaller um, because like the CFOs of both health systems and med tech companies have looked at the dollars that they saved from not going to fill in the blank health, you know, STS or you name it. And they're like, why do I have to spend that much money? And so it's only going to get you back so far. I, I would say, and I won't, I won't disclose it here on, uh, on this podcast, but I have what I believe to be the absolute best trade show strategy for getting quality sales conversations ever. And I'm not, a, okay, so I'm a, I'm a pretty bombastic guy, but like I, this is an amazing strategy that I guarantee you would work. If somebody wants to know, I'll, I'll tell, them, tell them offline, but I think the way we've, I've done more trade shows than uh, I can check a stick at, I despise them because they get crap leads and there's no good value that comes out of it outside of dinners and that sort of thing. So <laughs> I think we have to be smarter about how we do trade shows um, because they will come back and they've always been this huge money suck from a marketing perspective. And the smart companies are going to figure out how do you actually get a return on that in a measurable and meaningful way. So, but you look at you look at a, a large company that would have a 100 by 100 you know foot booth at a trade show. They're one of the anchors. You know, it's like uh, it's like you know a, a major Habit. store in a mall or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So, 
all, all they need to do is shave, um, shave that down to 50 by 50 or 70 by 70. They have saved a couple hundred, several hundred thousand dollars. And that can be put to a lot of very effective programming, you know, virtually education, website, and, and so on and so forth. Um, digital marketing. I, you know, even small companies that might have had a 40 by 40 or, or something, or even a 20 by 20, you know, yeah, you want your office there, you want to be able to interact with the key opinion leaders, and you want to do all that kind of stuff. But I got a feeling that uh, the attendance of trade shows will stay down somewhat for some time. And um, if you, you know, you could, you can use that investment more wisely elsewhere. Well, I think the only thing that we all have to keep in mind here is the trade shows are the lifeblood revenue stream for so many of those associations Yeah, that there's, they're going to have a pushback to it because most of their budgets are tied to 70, 80% of their annual revenue being driven by that one national meeting. And I don't know if they can decouple themselves. They've all been in such difficult financial positions over the last two years and they're still just waiting there. You know, nobody has necessarily reconfigured the wheel about how they're going to adjust. It's more of like, we'll just wait until the meeting in 2021. And then that didn't happen. Now we'll just wait for the meeting in 2022. We attend a lot of trade shows and usually there's a good balance in Q2 and Q3. This year, Q2 only has a few major ones. Q3 and Q4, I think everybody was just up there thinking, if there's another wave of coronavirus, let it all happen in the beginning of the year because we're all putting, we're all doubling down on the fact that these things are going to go off. Um, in, it, 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 we're going to have to have these things in September, October, November, without question. And so many of these associations are going to flounder if they can't do it and they can't draw that audience back in. So I'm not of the opinion that trade shows are going to go away so quickly simply because the associations need those trade shows at least in the immediate future until they can figure out how to decouple their revenue streams. Mm -hmm. well, I, I talked to a friend of mine who um, decided to skip out of Medica. That's the big European show. Yes. Uh, they sent him a bill anyway for, his, <laughs> for, the, for the entire booth, you know, the square footage of the, of the booth space. And it essentially, because he's been there for years and years and years with a really large booth, you know, he needs to pay that bill to be able to have that same priority position in that same spot that everybody knows he's at every year. Um, so he'll, he'll pay the bill. So our, our meetings, I'm talking from AVAP, we, we pulled it off at the last week in October, all masked and vaccinated and all that kind of stuff. But our booths are all the same size. Nobody has a real large booth. We're a little booth. They're all the same size. But we put in a lot of... Uh, different types of ways in which the networking can happen between suppliers and those decision makers. Uh, and we make a lot of those occasions happen. So what we've been doing is trying to diversify throughout the whole year. How can we bring our members together with suppliers? And it's all about marketing. And so we very heavily into marketing. We have a third-party uh, management company for nonprofit organizations and things. And I help to, to kind of uh, 
pull these off for all the committees and things while they're in the hospitals working. And you're right, we, we haven't gotten to the point where those meetings aren't necessary, but there's a lot of things that partnering together. So we always have a meeting with what we call the platinum sponsors. So if they spent X dollars, you know, to come to the meeting and we just have a good conversation and listen to them, what do they really want at these meetings? So they said, we're one of the only meetings that they've come to where we care what they think and how can we sort of change things up because they don't want to do the same old thing either. So it's professional organizations, you know, opening up as well. But it goes to the people aren't going to these conferences because of the labor shortage and people can't go because they're physically working. Dollars have disappeared for travel to these things as well. So there's coming back to the med tech sort of world and where the customers are, uh, where we kind of started a while ago. But so there's a whole dynamic out there. So it's one big pizza in, in honor of uh, Scott, one big pizza <laughs> with lots of thin pieces around it. And there's enough there for everybody, but we have to be that smarter, wiser, take those, you know, steps that, you know, be brave out there. Think out of the box. Think what really people need. Mike, do you find that people are more responsive to your your inside sales efforts because they're not getting fed from the societies in these meetings and that sort of thing? No, uh, uh, well, it depends. So obviously, everybody's into the the inside sales game because you have to be on the med device side now, right? The, the, but from a customer's, but it's gotten it, it's gotten way harder because now yeah. our customers are getting bombarded with phone calls. And so what I love, again, is I love the fact that everybody's behind the, the eight ball here because nobody's really ever thought about, well, how do I differentiate my phone call? How do I build rapport? How do I break through the noise? How do I get them not to hang up? And mm -hmm. the only thing that most people are thinking about is their first line, which is, hi, my name is Mike. I'm with this company, and I'm going to try to sell you something. And so uh, I love the fact that it's really crowded and hard because there are certain things with technology and technique that we can get a complete advantage of. Yeah, we're, we're finding, and this kind of goes back to something that we talked about earlier, um, the hunger, like the, the thirst for like what's new, what's interesting and that sort of thing. It used to be that you had to wait until STS or right, whatever, your, um, whatever your trade show of, of choice is to find out like what's the newest thing. And what we're finding now is that's not really the case. So like we've got a company to work with in the orthopedic space. They've got a product they're expecting to have approved um, in call it Q2. Um, so it doesn't necessarily align with one of the big trade shows. So we're doing basically a virtual launch using the same techniques you would use at a trade show. You just do it digitally and you do it with mail and you do it with like, you, for less than you spend on that 100 by 100 booth, you're actually able to get to the real, to people you want, right? As opposed mm -hmm. to like, we all sat in the booth and had some physician from a country that, you know, you couldn't even pronounce come in and, you know, you, you're talking to him, you're trying to be helpful and he's trying to learn, but it's like, you realize 
I'm going to give this lead to a sales rep and there's never going to be any follow-up. Like that's, that's my experience. Nobody else has had that experience. I'm sure with, with trade shows. Um, but the reality, like that's what most trade shows are. So for what you're spending, you can actually do a year long campaign where you're saying, these are the 5,000 people. These are my top X number of folks that I want to talk to and grab them and get in front of them. And it's just, it's just how people want to do it. They don't want to have to wait. They want to do it on their own pace. So, yeah, and I also I think, think that's, that if you're going to go to a trade show and you're you're not either in, you're not speaking at the trade show, or you don't have meetings pre-set up, all your reps having meetings set up at the trade show or collaboration meetings with vendors or strategic meetings, then it's a complete waste of time. If you don't do that pre-game setup of marketing to drive business at the show, you shouldn't go. Absolutely. Mike, Mike makes a great point. And I think that's where a lot of companies fall down. And I remember several years ago, seeing a statistic about one of the shows that I regularly attended, and they had polled the doctors about how much time they spent on the trade show floor over four days, four days that the trade show floor was open. It was less than two hours. So it's like an hour and 45 minutes. I mean, so you really need to be on their list, you know, yeah. going back to what Mike was saying, you know, and you need to find ways to get on that list. And that has to happen way before the trade show starts. Mm -hmm. But that just that's an environment that's not really great, you know, compared to maybe some other opportunities. So one of the things gonna... I was going to mention, I know that we were going to like maybe talk about what's really going to we see, you know, with our crystal ball in the future and things, but I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that the either the reps, someone internally within their organizations, whatever, really do need to sign up for a lot of the Beckers and Med Device uh, little newsletters that come out, email, anything. You can pick up so much intelligence and making very little investment in time to understand, you know, I, I ran across something, actually I pulled it off my printer just before so I'd have it, but it's, you know, the top five things you're gonna need to do going forward for med tech. And a lot of people are kind of coming down to some of the same three or four things. So how do you fit into those things? So keep educating yourselves and signing up for things. And maybe one of the things that we might be able to do is just sort of put a bunch of lists like that together and things and just, you know, put it on a show notes type thing or something like that, that we can help people uh, keep educated about stuff. And we can help be the whisperers, you know, what's, what's really uh, up and, and uh, what would really be a worthwhile thing. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. I, I get several of these newsletters. So I get, you know, um, like JAMA is one of my favorites and then Helio and you can find them by the specialty. So if all you need to do is skim them, you mm -hmm. know, you don't That's have it. to read every darn article, but by skimming it, you get a sense of what's going on. And then you see something that really relates to you or your business, then you can click on it and read it. And so that's on the, the clinical side. And then on the, um, on the industry side, you have stuff like, you know, Becker Health has a bunch of great newsletters and podcasts and stuff. So, you know, that, that's a good place to start or mass device is another one. Um, MDDI. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can do to stay on top. Mm -hmm. 
So, okay. So when it comes, when we go back to um, like the whole concept, because it is such a big budget item and it takes so much planning, we were talking about trade shows and everything and, you know, alternatives to those, you know, we've, we've sort of got a mixed opinion. Yeah. They're going to come back a little bit, but I, I do think that people, I believe they should invest less in them. They plan better, get what you can out of them, possibly invest a little bit less and then use that, 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 you know, money elsewhere wisely. I don't know, you know, if everybody agrees with that, but um, we were sort of going round and round on that. Yeah, I think, I think that's going to be important. Um, One of the trade shows, you got to do it. You just be really mindful about that budget. The, the area or the part of marketing and, and sort of broadly go to market that I think is the weakest that we really need to shift dollars towards is what we do with our CRM and how we're tracking activity down to the individual physician or healthcare administrator or whatever. Um, you know, one of the shifts that we've seen is right, the individual sales rep is losing, uh, right? And this is a general trend, but like they're losing the juice, right? They don't have the ability to, to have that buddy-buddy thing. There are certain areas where they still do, but they're losing that. And it becomes more of an organizational sale and one of the things that I think we could take a lesson out of other industries' playbooks is the coordination between sales and marketing as it relates to Dr. John Smith, right? Um, we were looking at some technologies uh, on behalf of several of our clients that will let you see, okay, what's Dr. John Smith's uh, surgical procedure volume for what's relevant to you? What does that mean from a dollars and cents standpoint and all that? So and those are relatively, that's a relatively new platform. I think it's really innovative and it can help a lot of companies out. So let's say that you have that and Dr. Smith is worth $3 million, right? Or a million dollars. So with that, what do you do, right? How do you, how do you actually leverage uh, that knowledge to then not just have Randy, the rep, be able to go in and call on Dr. Smith and know that like he needs to close the deal, but also how do you line up the support behind that to make sure that Randy has the highest likelihood of success. Um, I was I was talking to uh, somebody the other day about about this. So I'm a, as we all know, like I love college football and the University of Georgia Bulldogs are national champions for the first time in 41 years. Go dogs! And I follow the recruiting process. And yesterday was National Signing Day, in case you were wondering, or two days ago. But um, so I follow it. And all these 18 year old kids, when they make their announcements, somehow have these beautiful graphics of like me tackling somebody with a Georgia jersey on and talking about, uh, you know, all the wonderful things that I'm going to do. So there's some graphic designer who's, who's doing that in large scale. And I'm not saying that when you go call on Dr. John Smith, that you need to have uh, him tackling somebody in a Georgia jersey. That's probably the wrong answer. <laughs> but, but imagine if you would, if you knew that getting Dr. Smith on board is worth a million dollars to your business, is there a reason why you would not take the time to customize marketing materials for him? Mm-hmm. Is there a reason why you wouldn't make sure that it's that you're not coming in with some generic presentation about look at how great our features and benefits are, but you're actually tailoring it towards, by the way, in your practice, you did 316 total knees last year, right? If, if you're, you're probably better than industry average, 
right? So you likely had X kind of outcomes that you really want to get rid of. Here's what the impact is to you. Here's how much faster you could be. Here's how many more cases you could do. Right? There's no reason that you can't take this down to what do you do for that guy that's going to be a whale or that gal that's going to be a whale and make sure that your, your sales and marketing team, your true go-to-market team is aligned to be effective. And the only way you're going to do that is if you actually have a CRM that people are using, not just like, hey, we got Salesforce and it's there, which is what 90% of people are. But if you actually use it as a tool to make sure that sales and marketing are partners and not like fighting against each other about the quality of leads, but you're actually saying, okay, let's get down to individual doctors. What's our plan for Smith? What's our plan for Dr. Brown? What's our plan for this person and that person? So that you're coming in like we would do if we were doing account-based marketing for um, SaaS, right? That, that's, how, that's how Salesforce does it. When they sold you know, a $2 million install to company X, they had a ton of people who were lined up to make sure that that event went really well because the dollars and cents are there. So I'll stop talking because I'm preaching right now. My apologies, go dogs. But the, the reality is we can't be spreading marketing like peanut butter. You have to have sales reps engaged so they're getting the right resources. And the only way you're going to do that is through the CRM so that you can pick your top targets and make sure you win them as opposed to just hoping across a whole lot of them. Go dogs. Yep. Go dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that customization and that tailoring, it, it, I mean, it's where, you know, if you follow any sort of medical, I'm sorry, marketing or, or, or sales philosophy that's out there now, it's all about understanding. And just think about medicine as a whole, right? The whole, the whole world of oncology is no longer about let's create a, a drug that treats everybody. It's let's create a drug that allows me to treat Scott and his condition. Um, and how can I make that a situation that is different than the way I treat Mike? Yet in med tech, we're still thinking about patient population, right? I think, and I, I think I, Scott's I, I, sort of hopeless though, so I'm not sure. <laughs> don't be able to read the genetic map. The dog's won, so he's yeah. he's good now. I don't care. I'm good for a year, people. I'm good for a year. So, so Mike, do you kind of tailor? You're probably the expert in tailoring things to certain organizations, certain customers, certain clients. What other sort of key things do we need to think about? I think that you know we're in a we're in a, an environment right now where we do market to a customer of one. So Scott's point is really resonating with me because I believe it. Uh, if you're marketing to a large organization like a GE or a Siemens or a Medtronics, you're probably going to want to bring in work that you've done for a large company that solved their current problem the way that they need to solve it and you need to demonstrate that. Whereas if you're going to a startup company, obviously their challenges are gonna be a lot different. So how you're gonna engage them and what value you can bring to them has to be specific to their situation. So I think the biggest problem with marketing today is that it is completely not targeted, right? You're, it's one size fits all and it's written in such a manner that even to the point of now, how many times you get an email where you get it where it's like, Dear first name, <laughs> uh -huh. how many of those slip through the marketing uh, monkey or whatever it is that does that work? And so it really needs to be 
John, I know you and I know you because, and I've also helped somebody that you look up to with the same problem. And when you have that approach, people listen and it resonates and they react and they respond because you do understand them and you do know how to help them. And that's what they need to hear and feel and see with every marketing touch, with every sales call. And, and you can do that at scale, by the way, right? Yes. So Mike, as you were mentioning earlier, like that, the, the effort that we have that we're doing for y'all, we're saying that, hey, John, I know you, I, I know how you are, right? What you need, we're doing that and we're doing that at scale. So it's actually yes. automated. So, but, but the yeah. systems don't exist to do that if you know what matters, right? Right. And, and to that point, you're still using report. Look, at the end of the day, you have to build a relationship no different than the old days. It's just we have to build digital relationships. Rapport will be the first and foremost thing you need to do. If people don't like or trust you, they will not buy from you. And so your digital marketing needs to do exactly that. So in the subject title, you may want to put in a competitive name in the title because why? Because they're interested in learning about their competitor. That's just one little example about how you might be able to instantly create attention and rapport. And one of the things we just did internally, and we, we have some new members of our sales and marketing team, is we went to great lengths to spend it, to spend an opportunity to, uh, to, to draw buyer personas. And it was buyer personas. Mm -hmm. And we really drew out six to eight different buyer personas. And then as a test, we had our sales team get on a few calls and, and really test and see if it fit in those personas. And the thing that they found was, especially in today's world where you can identify somebody a little bit more on LinkedIn and find them on Google before you even get on a call. And then if you can put them into a buyer persona, the discussion you can have with that individual versus just saying, this is doctor, orthopedic, orthopedic surgeon, whatever it may be. But instead, if you can say it's an orthopedic surgeon at a small community hospital versus one at an academic medical center, um, it changes the dynamic of that conversation wholeheartedly. And we've been able to gain success just doing that, just playing the game of you may not know who Dr. Smith is, but there's no reason why you can't know what he's likely about. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm going to suggest that we sort of wrap things up right, right about now for this particular um, episode. And um, I think we should pick up on CRM and its functionality and optimizing it um, in the next episode, because I think we could go yeah. a little bit further in this. It'd be very valuable. Yeah, that'd be great. So, so with that, I, I think we should just all say, Goodbye, and you know we look forward to talking to everybody um, in another uh, week or two. Great conversation as usual. Yeah, yeah. thanks, awesome. guys. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, thanks, yep. everybody. Yeah. Continue to earn your MBA with the MedTech Business Academy.